0: Hello everybody, this is Charles from the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast, not our usual intro today. Uh, For those of you who are stumbling on to this episode, let me just give you a bit of a heads up here. This is part two of our two-part discussion of The Last Argument of Kings, the third and final installment of the First Law Trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. Dylan and I sat down and recorded this in one session and ended up taking over two hours, so we decided to split the recording into two episodes if you did not hear the first part you may want to jump over and check that out that's our last episode that's uh, last argument of kings part one and part two is today where we will be discussing bias and my hilarious making a magi segment and then we will also be going into the endings for every single POV character in the book it's a lot of fun And we get into some really, really good stuff here, so um, be sure to check it out. One warning though, spoiler warning here, if you have not read The First Law, or if you've not read Last Argument of Kings, I'm going to take Dylan's line here, turn this down in your headphones, because we are getting into all kinds of spoilers for First Law Trilogy. Otherwise guys, enjoy the show, thank you so much for listening, and let's get right to it. Which brings us to the next segment here, which I called, I don't know if you noticed, Making a mag—making a Magi. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I think you nailed that, Charles. I saw that in the notes and I was like, nice. Yeah.
0: Because it's like, you know, we, we finally, like this was one of my favorite parts of my first read through was this kind of understanding of Baez. is true. Like just like you knew he was like a, not that likable guy, and that he was kind of had this contempt for people, but to get the full extent of it in these last moments is so good. It's it's what makes Bias like the one of the best characters like I've ever. Especially these wizard tropes and these mentor tropes. It's like Bias stands like in such a unique position in that world of like how like cold and conniving and like selfish he really is
1: yeah exactly charles this is the big reveal is mm. bias and i think you can make the case and on this reread i probably would that the first law as a full story in this trilogy is more about bias than any other character mm. obviously not the person we get the most time with or get to see the most internal but the story of the first law is about Baez and what he ends up being and doing and controlling because like everything that has taken place in the first law in one way or another kind of comes back to Bias making those decisions, and I've even heard uh, Abercrombie call himself the bias of the world. So it's <laughs> like if uh, bias has full control, and even things that we like never would have thought come back to like, oh, bias controlled that, and also the biggest reveals are like are bias related. So, uh, and and the first law is the name of the trilogy, right? And right. who is that most relevant to? It's bias.
0: Well, for sure. I mean, every single plot point that came out of this was in some way or another orchestrated by Baez. And the cruel thing about it is like, it was kind of like a side thing for Baez. Baez was making these decisions that was affecting all these people's lives. And it was almost like a side plot to what he was really trying to do. He's like, yeah, I'll set them up to do that and I'll send them to the end of the world and I'll, you know, kill these guys and whatever, bring these people up to power. And it was all just like a, like a, like two tiers down from like the high level chess game that he's trying to play. You know, you start to realize like, Oh wow. All of these politics and things that all these other characters care about are really just like white noise to Baez and Kalul. Like that's really it. Like that's what this whole world is, is these two competing with each other and not even just through armies. It's through everything.
1: Exactly. it's, It's Baez and Kalul's world, and everyone else is just living in it.
0: Exactly right. So in this section called Making a Magi, we have um, Kwai, Baez, Pharaoh, Yulwe in the house of the maker, right, in an attempt to find weapons to fight the eaters. And that's when Pharaoh finally discovers the seed. It wasn't on the other end of the world. It was right in the center of it the whole time.
1: Who would have thunk it, Charles? Who would have? And thunk that's it? another great Abercrombie subversion, it's like right? If you're you, trying to hide a stone. All, yeah, where are
0: you gonna put it?
1: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, seed was right there, and Pharaoh is instantly interested in this object. Yep, so she's drawn she, to
0: it, and she Baez is like ordering her to take it to the palace, and in all the commotion, Kwai, Malikus Kwai, reveals himself to be Ptolemy.
1: Yeah, and obviously this has been built a lot. We know that Kwai's been acting sketchy basically since yes. the end of the blade itself. We know that He's there's even a moment back. where it's like He's no been one a sulky yeah, Like no one would eat the rotted fish at one point. It's like Kwai seemed pretty interesting oh, yeah, in it. I didn't
0: and it's like I remember that. <laughs> but that's true. Yeah,
1: it's like that's strange. And he but he wouldn't ever eat like real food. <laughs> and so Quai, and he also has that moment where, or she, I guess, if it's Ptolemy, then she has that moment in Quai's form where Baez, in before they are hanged, is out of commission, and she's like, "Oh, like, look, it's like the first of the Magi, vulnerable. Like, I could just, any of us could just kill him right now." Yeah. And then someone like Logan or someone's like, "Yeah, but why would you do that?" And she's like, "Oh, no, not, not <laughs> no, nothing." But I am kind of, it does confuse, that's always the thing that confuses me most with the Ptolemy reveal is like, but but then why didn't she?
0: That's true. I think she was trying to get the seed to open the door or something. Uh, Oh, so
1: she's really, I guess in my head, I'd always thought, like, I know that was like what she promised the... Uh, the voices but I guess I always thought like her motivation would be more about vengeance on the way I see it it is that
0: you know we see the warning signs of it with Pharaoh of these voices trying to tell her how to open the gates I think she's so possessed by these things and their desire Mm -hmm. is to come out into the world and I think she's hoping to she needs bias at that moment to get the tools she needs to open the to open the mm. gate or whatever, which is why, I mean, like you said, it's not the strongest case, but it is a case. It's like you could just yeah. kill Baez and then still figure it out. And at least Baez is dead. You know, like there's at least that, but I think,
1: um, I don't know. I think she yeah. needed
0: to get out of the edge of the world and needed the seed. And so
1: that makes sense. I mean, it, it serves the story and being yeah. able to tell all in this way and have this cool reveal. And I think you make a great point with, that was probably the intention from Abercrombie. Was like, well, she's hearing all these voices, and she's been hearing them so long.
0: Yeah, that and she's basically have like, control she over died her basically, and, and the spirit. Yes. like took her over. So, is she even that Ptolemy, or is she just like, you know, just the possessed version of Ptolemy? Like, how much of the original Ptolemy is even left? You know, like those she kind of things.
1: She seems pretty interested in killing by Hess still.
0: Yeah, she does. Like but...
1: beyond just wanting the seed
0: yeah but i think she's like you know a bit far gone too where it's like for sure her priority is is freeing all these evil demons and not getting revenge on on bias yeah and um, it's also interesting that that mauled body that (laughs) clocta was investigating back in the old days was quiet
1: Right, because so. we never got that answer before, and we kind of forget it because it's such a small mystery in uh, such a larger pool of more interesting questions mm-hmm. that we forget, oh, yeah, that we never figured out who that body was, and <laughs> now we get to find out.
0: Yeah, one of our first introductions to eaters, it's like we learned about eaters, and then we find body parts in the square, and it's like, that's strange. <laughs> I guess the eaters are eating stuff, as they do, but we didn't realize it was uh, poor Kwai. And then I love that moment it was like Logan was like thinking about all that work he did to save Kwai, and he thinks about the cooking pot and I was like oh man <laughs> that poor cook should have just left
1: <laughs> <him>. <laughs> uh, taken the cooking pot
0: but in, in one of these great moments Yolome fights uh Yolome Yolway fights Ptolemy <laughs> and it. as Baez and Pharaoh flee <laughs> <laughs> Baez seals seals Yole inside the house of the maker <laughs> It's like, dude, that is cold.
1: <laughs> cold indeed, Charles. And Yolwe gets the same treatment that a lot of the more noble characters seem to get in the first law by the end. Where Yolwe, it's kind of obviously a lot of different circumstances around it, but it's kind of like what you're talking about with Three Trees, where he gets to presumably die mm-hmm. here, um, locked away with Ptolemy in a way where he gets to kind of be a noble heroic character. He's obviously been fooled and manipulated by Baez, but he's seems to be a good person at heart.
0: Yeah. And I think it's what's most interesting to me here is how quickly Baez was oh, like, yeah. oh f- great. Lock him in. Like that's good. Like he's so self-absorbed that even one of the other magi like is just a tool to him that he could not care less about and you learn more about the history of Ptolemy. it's like Ptolemy is just another one that he like he doesn't care about anyone he's like such a narcissist and will do whatever it takes for power and all these things about Baez reveal themselves in these making a magi moments where he's like um he's it's revealed that he may not have been so honest to Ptolemy and he may not have been so honest to Yolwe and like all these ends to find the means and he's happily locking up the only person you could I guess call his friend he doesn't spare a second thought about it. he's lucky he's out of there alive and has the tools to be more powerful you know he's so focused on that and it, it, it's alarming but it's also so great
1: <laughs> well I'm, bre- I'm glad you brought up the lies around Ptolemy Charles because I think that is the that's the biggest one for me yeah. is that we're we're kind of led to believe, oh, like, Bias, he has all this kind of contempt for people. He's got this anger, all this kind of stuff. But his vulnerability, <laughs> Charles, is that he really did love the maker's daughter. So whatever he's done, yeah. there's this almost human side to him where it's like, well, we can always relate to making mistakes because of the love we have for someone. And then uh, this giant reveal... It, it's kind of led on at first by Yolwe being like, you know, I was kind of at the bottom of the bridge there or whatever. And I was looking up and I know you said before that, like the master maker threw his own daughter off and then she died. And then you avenged her. But I feel like if I'm remembering correctly, the master maker fell first <laughs> and then Ptolemy fell second. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Baez is like, you know, like, memory, it's been so long. Memory plays tricks on you. And that's the, that leads up to then. And then like, Yolwe was like, promise
0: then. me now. Like, you need to, like, convince me, you know? And Baez is like, of course, man. Like, who do you think I am? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and around killing Jumens, And then too. I also think he was more than thrilled to seal him away because, uh, like, Yolwe was potentially the only one that could spread his secret about the origins of ptolemy to the other magi and to anyone else potentially of power so he's like oh that covers that loose end like he's like oh we'll go back and save him but you know that he's hoping that he's dead (laughs) because it's like i get to keep that lie going no one knows
1: Oh, yeah. And he also, one of the things, too, that Yowei made Baez promise was that he didn't kill Juvens. And Juvens is very interesting as kind of this backdrop character for the first law, because the way he's described eventually by Baez is, like, basically that Juvens was kind of this Gandalf type. Like, he yeah. legitimately probably was a straightforward like kind wizard that cared for all the people and people like that don't make it as long in Abercrombie's world because petty awful people like Baez do away with them. And obviously we do find out that Juvens was just another victim of Baez's awful scheming.
0: Yeah. Which is so, so good. Like man, all this, all these things coming together has left such an impression on me i'm like this is like Abercrombieism right now it was like all these realizations that are coming to light is are all are the payoffs of this whole story like these are the is what makes this series so unique is how everything was for lack of a better word here i'm going to say the s word subverted <laughs> and uh, you know it, it's just so brilliant and the more and more time Baez is is going on with this, and it, it comes to a head when, when Baez uses the seed. Okay, so let's let's walk through this correctly. Kalul's eaters confront Baez in um, the square of marshals, right? And then you have Baez combining the powers of the seed and his training with Juven's and his training with the master maker. Yes, to create a whirlwind of power. That destroys everything, and he's reveling in it. He's using Pharaoh to channel the power of the seed, right? To tapping in, like breaking the first law, basically, and is um is just causing mass destruction. And Bias could not be in more ecstasy. (laughs) He's like, "I'm more powerful than Juven." Yes, like like blowing up everybody. (laughs) And you're like, "Oh God, (laughs) this guy's got a bit of a complex."
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. I mean. He, it's interesting. You mentioned the first law, and there's a great quote from Bias. Bias has two quotes that are. Oh, this first on one you're first gonna law. say is
0: my favorite. It is so good.
1: Okay, well, he says, uh, "Power makes all things right." That is my first law and my last. That is the law. That is the only law that I acknowledge. Oh, and that's not the law I was thinking of. <laughs> oh, the other one is the first law. Rules are for children. Yes this is war and in war the only crime is to lose That's the line. so when <laughs> so when we think about how bias thinks about these laws and, and even bias himself has played the game of pretending that these first laws and these things Whoa, like that are important the but so they're horrible. All, yeah oh no they broke and it's so great too because there's like the the first law is the one that even kalul probably won't mess with and like kalul's uh minions are like oh no like dude what are you doing you're breaking the first law like yeah we'll eat people that's just a second law like <laughs> dude you're breaking the first law and Baez, in the end after all his talk about the importance of the first law is like oh no that's it's like what a childish way of thinking about things we're out there killing each other and like like the only... that line says, the only crime is to lose. Exactly,
0: which I love that line so much. It's very Machiavellian, and he has no problem using that kind of prejudice to um, make people hate the eaters. It's like, oh, they eat people, yes. they break the law, they are evil, and we're good. And then when he gets the first opportunity he gets to kill them, even if it means doing those things that he's been touting as evil, you know, hypocritical almost of him. He doesn't care at all. Like he's, if anything, he's like, He's so happy with himself. And, like, even after that, he's just, like, sitting there thinking about all the great things he did. He's like, man, no one can understand the great thing that I just did. He's like, I combined three different powers of magic. He's, and he's just, like, so happy, you know. He's the, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he, like, he, like, you know what he cares about and, like, the only thing he cares about. And it's just so, so, like, funny and alarming at the same time. And it opens the story it blows the story wide open right like i remember when i first read this and i saw the kindle i was like at 99 percent, and i was like but wait the story's just getting started like we're finally figuring out the nature of bias here how could this be over it's just like it blows it changes the whole perspective and scope of the whole story that we
1: just read yeah and i think that's kind of the The point of it, we've had a lot of discussions about First Law's ending before off the air because long before we were friends talking fantasy in capital letters, (laughs) we were just friends talking fantasy in uh, lowercase letters. (laughs) And we've talked a lot about this ending, so uh, we will get there in more detail, I'm sure, Charles, because I guess we have more plot to cover. But I do uh, want to just quote the great Patrick Rothfuss Mm -hmm. um, here author of the Kingkiller Chronicle, who uh, sent a line in a video that actually a, a fan, also named Charles, emailed me. Uh, so sh- shout out, Charles, if you're, I don't think he's read uh, uh, First Law, so he probably isn't listening. But uh, <laughs> I'll say that in this video, Rothfuss says, if you're not paying attention to what's in this book, it is not my fault. And that's kinda how yeah. I feel about the ending of the first law. For those who feel that it like it doesn't come to a, a like conclusive ending or a climax or doesn't tie things together, because I, I I think it does. I think it's just about seeing the hints. Uh, you know, if you don't like the ending, you don't like the ending. I want to say that like it's fine. You don't have to like it. And I think this is the story Abercrombie's been telling, and that's how it ends.
0: I think that's really well said. And I actually love that quote. It was like, if you're not paying attention to this, like what kind of story you're reading, we, we've said that countless times about Kingkiller Chronicles. And I think on my second read, like my first read through of Abercrombie, the ending always kind of felt like the, the like the bitter aftertaste of the experience of reading it. But then going into the reread, it's like, like I'm over it, man. I mean, like the story was so good and, it's it does feel wrapped up in a way. Like all these characters do get endings and I feel like, you know, the story bit, kinda comes to its climactic end here at the end of this making a magi moment yes. with the with the siege ending and the battle being over, and then we just get like a long, like final twenty percent of this book that's like wrap up.
1: It's Denuma.
0: Like it's a really interesting pacing of the story, but it's like, okay, the story ends bias is you like like tricked everybody used all these powers and won like the day but at what cost and now we just see the denouement of all these characters and i'm like you know we did get a journey and we we got the rising action and the climax and we got all these things and it's and i can also see now that i know that there's another trilogy coming out i um i can see all the potential and how much is being set up and built in these moments and like I'm curious. I know it takes place in the future in the same universe. That's all I know. And I'm very, I'm very um, excited at the potential of it. I don't know what characters make an appearance, but I can imagine, um, you know, based off of what we know about certain characters that uh, we are building up for quite an interesting Battle because even Baez says like oh it's just been a personal feud between me and Kalul and the magic in the world is fading and we're fighting new wars in different ways and a new age is coming and all this stuff like we get all of these ominous things but it's like you know same game different players basically is what Baez is saying is like yeah it's we've been feuding constantly and this war was just one of the pieces that we're feuding in like money moves everything and like all this other stuff and um. It really opens up the first lawn, and like I don't know, I just phew. And this, it benefits from the reread for me because like what like you said, once you realize what story you're reading, it's it comes into place a lot better. At least that was my experience.
1: Charles, this is such a cathartic <laughs> moment for me just to hear you because yeah, I I thought you might get that. I kind of got the sense that this reread was overall kind of more. I don't know if more enjoyable, so I don't want to use words for you here, but like that you appreciate some things you- I greatly
0: maybe... enjoyed it the first time. But if you asked yeah. me before I cracked the cover again for the show, I would have been like, yeah, it's like, this is what my father said when he read it. He's like, yeah, it's over the river and through the woods, but you don't get to grandma's house. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I was bought into that. I'm like, yeah, that's what it is. And then I'm reading it again and I'm like, well- we did kind of, <laughs> we just got a little more and, you know, these, we got these other pieces, but we got the story and I am softer on it than I used to be. I'll say that. And I really, I, I think this benefited for me from the reread. Like I really got to appreciate a lot more. Like you said, I appreciated Pharaoh a lot more. Um, I appreciated jazal a lot more. I mean, I always loved
1: jazal but like,
0: <laughs> to, to know where he's going and yes. to see him fully in it, it is, is so funny.
1: <laughs> I mean, even moments with Giselle, Abercrombie foreshadows extremely well. With yes. Giselle, it's like he's admiring himself in the mirror, but the thing he most admires the thing that's best about him is that chin that jaw and he acts like it's his
0: like personal accomplishment you know that he was born with the chin you know so
1: it's like it all adds up yeah his ability to and then he gets hit with a mace in his chin in particular Mm -hmm. so it's like even those kind of moments where it's like oh of course he's focused on the chin the jaw because we know that's exactly where he's going to get hit by a mace so it's like these kind of things that abercrombie builds in are so great and it's awesome to hear you know it's like over the river and through the woods and maybe you were expecting the first time round to get to grandma's house, but instead you walk into the house and Baez is sitting there in front of a uh, chessboard of sorts. And <laughs> that's kind of what happens to Glockta in, <laughs> uh, in this denouement. We get a, a chapter that's called uh, Answers. Mm-hmm. After all these chapters that are called Questions from Glockta, we get a chapter called Questions. Answers. Or sorry, after all these... Did I miss it both times? No, you, you just right missed the it the last time. Okay, at least I nailed one. <laughs> so yes, after all the chapters called questions, we now get one called answers. And uh, and pretty much we get Baez just reveling in all of these things that we've talked oh, about. Oh, Baez <laughs> <Charles> loves <laughs> it.
0: He doesn't even care <laughs> that Glock is there. He's just like <laughs> impressed enough that he can brag to someone and they can actually appreciate the brag yes like because no one on the planet earth could understand the scope in which bias has bragging rights except for Glockta,
1: really. Yes, like and maybe kalul but as uh <laughs> as bias notes he's probably not going to receive congratulations from kalul yeah. anytime soon
0: right that's the whole it's whole reason for existing is this feud with kalul so yes. um yeah it's so funny so yeah. Baez is just, and maybe Pharaoh too. Like, he has moments with Pharaoh that he's like talking about the accomplishments of his powers. Like, we got the vengeance you wanted, Pharaoh. And, you know, it's like super thrilled. So it's really just them.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jazal has no idea what Zero. is going on. <laughs> it's so funny and how
0: Baez, we get to see Baez,
1: Baez kind of grow just annoyed with Giselle, where he's like, starting to realize that Gizal so much doesn't get it that he thinks for a while, like, oh, I'm king. Like, I, I must be the one with the actual power here. And Baez has kind of been reminding him for a while, like, no, not not really. But it's been a little too gentle. And eventually Bias gets this moment with Gizal where it's like, it, it all comes to a head. And Bias is like, I've been way too lenient with you. I have to tell you what you are, who you are. And remind you who I am. Yes. And he reveals to jazal some pretty amazing stuff, which is like, Jazal was in classic subversive fashion, if it, yeah. you know, is, yeah, we got this moment where Jazal was like the bastard child and rises to the throne. But Baez says, no, you were not actually the son of a king. You were just one of a bunch of children I spread out into the world with a chance, like bought uh, and spread out into the world with a chance to show the kind of features that would then become a person who i could raise to power and claim they were Yeah, he was like
0: hedging king. his bets by having multiple yes. people he's like it could have like been brent you it could have been brent yeah like yeah. there's a whole bunch of people and you were just the one that like was coming together nicely right. for me like you were the one that i chose and so, exactly. Which is so good. And then he's like, you have no power. Pa- I made you king. I built your whole story, and I built you, and you are nothing. So, like, really great. And you finally see Baez, like, kind of reveal his true nature a little bit, too. He's, he's going off on Giselle and inflicting horrible pain on him and basically dadding up on him and being like, you know, you work for me, pal, and you do what I say or I'll find someone that can replace you because y- – Like you're nothing, literally nothing except like the image that I need people to see so I can do my work. But you're so easy to replace and your position is so not a priority by any means like that I'm not even going to be here. Like I'm leaving you forever, but don't forget me because I'm having people managing you in my stead, but I have better things to do. You know, it's like,
1: whoa, (laughs) Well said, Charles. And we kind of get left then with Giselle, like knowing he fears Baez, not knowing completely why, yeah. but uh, uh, like mo- at a very base level of like Bias made me hurt a lot, and uh, I guess I'm not going to mess with him anymore because I don't want to feel you know, he's got that these reason. magic. <laughs> yeah, like he's Bias basically just makes Giselle's guts wrench, like uh, with total pain in his stomach, and makes him just some pretty brutal stuff and it's like Giselle isn't like whoa ba-, like bias is so like powerful and so manipulative that I can't mess with him he's more just like that guy hurt me, and I I don't want to get hurt again. Yeah. So it's like negative conditioning, you know.
0: <laughs> so
1: oh, uh, we would call that positive punishment in the psych field. There, Stutch uh, uh, or Charles, Stutch. You call me Stutch. <laughs> Good old Stutch. Shout out to Stutch, <laughs> that other friend of
0: Dylan's. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but yes, yes, okay. That's nothing positive about it, though.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's not i mean well okay it's i, I don't want to do this but in psych positive punishment means the presence that's what positive is like the like a positive right it's not the connotation uh, yeah, of being like, good it's the connotation
0: yeah. of exist like being yes good. Yeah.
1: exactly yeah uh, and punishment is what everyone knows what punishment is. so uh, anyway moving away from psych <laughs> And back to the, the <laughs> So story Baez we're talking positively
0: about. punishes Jazal. <laughs> Jazal is now like conditioned to fear Baez above all people exactly. and is now um is now kind of falling more in line. But you have these moments where Jazal is realizing like I am a tragic person. <laughs> like I am screwed in every way, shape and form. And that's kind of the end of poor old um he lives a disillusioned and resigned life of a puppet king. Um, wow! So that is uh, the little note that I had written about the ra- in my wrap-up section for Gisal, because every character yep. kind of gets a bit of a wrap-up sesh.
1: Yes. So Glockta installed as pretty much Baez's go-to person to actually.
0: He's like the Take proxy. Take care of
1: things? Well, yeah, the proxy. Like, tr- he trusts that Glockta is competent enough to, with a, you know, a nudge here or there, run the kingdom in the way Baez wants it to be run. And Baez has said since way back, like, he's kind of had a respect for Glockta yeah. as much as he can with, uh, you know, he, he calls people cattle at times i think he's like bias views people as uh cattle on a good day and ants on a bad day is basically his view but he he has a little bit of respect for Mm and kind of thinks you've got what it takes to be my proxy right uh west gets a real messed up end here he basically is just a consequence to the like this it's almost like a like a nuclear uh fallout uh, gun <laughs> yes exactly because that comes from bias
0: yeah bias killed a lot of people with his magic like he just indiscriminately like killed the eaters and then kept going and like fell buildings and um you know killed people on uh, both sides because there were so many people who were taking shelter In the square, you know, in those buildings that he toppled. And then also there was like kind of that sickness that had a radius around it. And Wes, you know, and his troops had witnessed that like black tornado is kind of how it was described of of the power. And um, there was a sickness that fell over everybody. And, yeah, it's tragic to see Wes go that way. Wes was one of my favorite characters. He had so many great, great moments. And to see him done like that was like, dang, that's... That's tough.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's an interesting choice from Abercrombie because I guess it's like, hey, yeah, Baez's actions if, are going to have real consequences and they're going to be deadly. Right. And a way to drive that home is to take someone who was a lot of people's favorite characters and a lot of people like West and say, eh. no, he doesn't get this miraculous end. He just dies as a like unthinking casualty of bias. Baez. Right. Baez will never even, that won't even register for him that he killed Wes. Right. But for us as readers, it's like, dude, bias.
0: It also Why? falls into that, like, that's life for you kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, what, you think every single character in this gets out in some way? It's like, someone's just gonna die a, a senseless death, you know, and um, that kind of falls into the Abercrombie, tone of how he approaches like fantasy stories. It's like some characters, you know, just get sick and die. And West was the one that fell fell victim to this wasting disease. Uh so that was was tragic. I do love, love, love with glockta and Gisal, this whole thing with Queen Therese. I love it in like a sick twisted way
1: the way that oh, it's horrible it's, it's absolutely
0: like, it's but it's twisted it's it's horrible but it's twisted and how horrible it is it's it's like a brilliant horrible thing like i have no idea how Abercrombie conceived this idea oh yeah it's I so mean, twisted
1: it, it is i think the most reviling thing clockta does in the entire series and that's saying something like I mean, obviously, he tortures people and stuff like that, but it's it's actually, like, a, a very disgusting thing that he does here. And so immediately after Glockta does this, like, great thing of sparing Artie's life. Yes. Uh, kind of, like, I mean, uh, obviously, Glockta would like to be married to Artie, and that's how he saves her. Yeah, that was a funny written... Her,
0: but... Like, moment where it's written like he grabs the cold steel, you know, yes, it's, it's like it's she rape. doesn't know this horrible fate that's about to come onto her, you know, it's like this, like written like he's psyching himself Gonna up stab to stab, her, stab her, her, but he's who second.
1: has a Jazal bastard that is brewing there, so <laughs> yeah. that's uh, you know, yes, a loose that end that Glock is told to dealt fun with.
0: Reveal there that Artie's pregnant with, The King's Bastard, which is quite a twist in the, like, last couple pages of the book. It's like, oh, that actually has some potential for some intrigue. And um, Glockta was, like, basically told to handle it. And you know the scene is written with like you know Glacta's self deprecating humor. You take literally like he's gonna stab her. It's like she doesn't know this horrible fate that's about to, you know, that I'm about to inflict on her. I'm grabbing the cold steel. You know that's how it's written. And then it's he pulls yeah. out a ring. He's like, "Will you marry me?" <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, sure."
1: <laughs> yeah, and honestly, th- I think I didn't notice it on the first read because I was so like caught up in that the giselle and arty thing was supposed to like work out in some way <laughs> and then of course it does not um but on the rereads i think you get to see how much chemistry Galacta and arty really have and you can yes. kind of read it a little bit more as this romantic banter and flirting rather than the like whatever I was reading it as the first time, maybe almost more of like an older Yeah,
0: well, it's so thing. funny because you never, in the first read, would have imagined that situation playing out, that exactly. Artie and Glockta get married. You're like, why would they ever do that? It doesn't make sense. And it wasn't until those final pieces, after even making a Magi, that we get revealed uh, that Artie's pregnant and something has to be done with it. You know, And then it all comes together so naturally, and it makes sense um but you would have never it would have never been in your spectrum and it reminds you of how much things have progressed throughout this series and how much um like setup and payoff there's been and even in these last you know 10 percent of the pages of this book we're still getting setups and payoffs and um yeah that this whole arty thing was was one of those so glock marries. mary's artie and that's like one of the nicest things he's ever done and you're rooting for him in those moments and you're happy for him and you're happy for artie and then you know compare that to what he does with queen therese which is so horrible he kidnaps her i guess you would say you know romantic interest girlfriend lover yeah and is like if you don't produce an heir with the king I will make, you know, I will do horrible, horrible things to your girlfriend, lover or whatever, you know, situation. And then you have these moments in Giselle's perspective which is so tw- he thinks that she's opening up to him and is actually turning a corner These are
1: hard for me to read. It's honestly. so brutal.
0: So, it's so twisted. And um, cuz
1: Giselle doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, I mean, just, in typical In Giselle's perspective from he's like this is a
0: breakthrough. This is so great. This yeah. is like amazing. It's like, "Oh my god, Giselle, you're clueless to the end, dude." It's like horrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so, so twisted. Very much a grim, dark situation there. But yeah, it just goes to show you what Glock is capable of, and it goes to show yeah. you how clueless Jezal is.
1: <laughs> I think that's what this moment is there to do for Abercrombie, if I have to speculate. Is like, he, you have to be reminded. Like, Glock has just done this nice thing to cover up Artie's uh, pregnancy with, like, oh, it's. It's actually my child. It's not, she doesn't have to die. And then it's like, well, remember that Glockta's in charge of Baez's kingdom here because he is willing to do absolutely brutal things. And this kind of final reminder of that side of Glockta, maybe not final, depending on right, depending on how he takes a later moment, but uh, maybe the biggest reminder is this this moment with Therese. So uh, yeah. And yeah, we'll see, we'll see where these kind of things go in uh, future stuff, maybe. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't want, yeah, Yeah. we will see if the seeds of the past bear fruit in the present uh, when we get to the later novels in the first law world, but we got to close out these other, Storyline. yeah you have Charles.
0: pharaoh who has at this point has been altered by the seed and you have this moment even where logan comes back and talks to pharaoh but pharaoh is so um disassociated with what's happening she doesn't even yes. recognize logan like this was someone she had like regretted leaving behind and then when logan meets her she's like do you hear that Quiet. Do you hear that? Yeah. Like not She's even registering that he's there. So that's pretty alarming for poor Pharaoh. But she yeah. taps into it and embraces the power of the seed a little bit and goes off on her own in what can be assumed to be her quest for vengeance to murder the Gurkish Emperor. And that's kind of the wrap up to her arc. She's kind of irreversibly altered from the seed, but that is given her powers and uh, we'll see how that goes for her potentially. Who's to say? Uh, Who is who's to say? Who is? Who is to say? I did warm up to Pharaoh more in the second read than the first. When you understand more about like um, her backstory, the fact she has demon blood, and like just how on the nose she was about Bias, like, and yeah. you know all those other things. Like, it's easy to see her as just someone who's just pure angst all the time. But you did start to when you got over that you started to see like more for character and how, like how many walls she has up and like the cracks in her walls are so subtle, but so meaningful at the same time, you know? So it was, like definitely more appreciative the second time around for her.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself, Charles. I thought I was going to have to be the one to come in and talk about <laughs> Pharaoh here, but I, I, you said it all there, I think. Yeah, so. I
0: mean, I don't have too much to say about her other than she benefits from the second read, and yeah. and uh, we we wish her luck in her quest to, to kill her. Do the, we? I don't know. <laughs> 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 I mean, <laughs> Kalula and Baez, neither one of them are, are any good, but who knows? <laughs> we, yeah. we wish her something.
1: <laughs> we certainly as, wish her she something. Goes oh, and you know what I wish, Charles? Yeah? I wish I didn't move us past the Glockta thing before we talk about Pike being revealed to be. be Oh, I was going to get there though. I thought, I thought I was going to get there. Get there, man.
0: Did I get there? Where did I put that in the notes? Oh, put it in the notes. Oh, I I skipped it in the notes. I
1: I moved us along. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. So in the notes. Okay. So we talked about that stuff with Queen Therese, but then we get the reunite with Glockta and Pike, AKA Salem Roos. Which was quite the twist. You're like, okay. And you're kind of wondering w- why. But then, you know, P- Salem Ruse, Ruse or Pike or however we'll call them, um, is He's Pike now. You referred in that in the beginning, you were talking about how Glockta was accepting his death and everything like that. But then he was like, wait a minute, I can give you what you really want. And, you know, Glockta said over and over again the cycle of, I was tortured. then I became the torturer. And then like you order the torturing done. And that was the arc that um, Glockta has gone through. He's the arch lector now. But now you can see that arc kind of beginning (laughs) for uh, Pike Salem Ruse here when he has the choice to um, kill Glockta and he doesn't. And then now they've got salt chained up and Glockta unwraps the torturing devices and he's like well what are you gonna do and pike takes his orders picks up the tools and the cycle continues and that's the end of glock arc
1: there well said charles so and it's yeah it's a pretty i don't know if poetic is ever really the right word for <laughs> it is kind of though arc it's got some sense of meaning to it or something poetic has the wrong connotation. It's a I
0: grimdark think, but... poetic. <laughs> yeah. A grimdark <laughs> Twisted poem. poetic. Yeah. It's, yeah. The, it's the cycling that continues. You know, Galacta's always asking himself, why do I do this? If throughout the whole series, people have been like, you'd think that you would, how could you, someone who's experienced these horrible things, become a torturer? It's like, that's the perfect thing for me to do and pike has gone through the whole process himself as well and is disfigured yeah so it's and that
1: west is gone so he's got he's kind of in that situation mm-hmm. with uh, uh west was his guy who was elevating him and all this stuff so i feel like pike is kind of in this situation where he kind of where glockta was where yeah it's like, west's well, what, death what created
0: kind of like this power vacuum le- for Artie and for pike it was like what are they gonna do now that he's gone so uh glockta to the rescue, I suppose. <laughs> Um, yeah, rescue <laughs> yeah, rescue and, like this is Abercrombie's twisted world yeah. right where it's like Abercrombie to their rescue I guess we wish farewell I suppose like it was like what do you make of any of this and that's just the world that Abercrombie's built it's left us like I guess I guess <laughs> it's like uh, what you what pieces have you left us with joe it's like we,
1: <laughs> well, those are kind of the the speculations that dog man is having yeah. by the end right charles he's just great kinda,
0: seg yes thank you
1: <laughs> yes he's just kind of we don't want to do the dog man dirty no uh, the, <laughs> he's just kind of standing around you know grim has died and, and there's kind of this reflection of like her and grim like just kind of followed us here and died as like in a war. He didn't really understand in a place he didn't know. And that's just how it goes. And, and Dogman is just reflecting on, like, where did this all go wrong? And he has really lost it, That's lost uh, any faith in Logan. And those but I will say like, gonna...
0: Grimm's final moments were very touching as well. This is part of my 20-minute long thing I could do about Grimm is the ending, right? <laughs> this could be a long episode <laughs> if you go for that. No, but it's, it's already like, pretty long. Yeah, we might split it into two parts. Um, Ooh. It's already at almost two hours, so. Um, anyway, uh, we have um, Grimm's, like, he gives his whole like last words he's like you know I sh- logan should have killed me everything else has been you know has been just like a blessing or whatever he said it was has been gravy or whatever he said it was and i was glad mm, to have it yeah and it's very touching and that's like the most he's ever said <laughs> except for maybe when he was giving three trees his eulogy which i didn't mention yeah, in the last episode and i was so bummed i didn't but you know what we brought it up now so uh yeah the Nailed the it. This whole thing about Grimm, he's so brilliant, <laughs> and, and uh, like, the payoffs that he's had, the eulogy for Three Trees, and then, I guess, the eulogy for himself, so that was all touching, and that kind of leaves, you know, that, like, Grimm was, like, the last pure thing in this world for Dog Man, you know, and he's, like, left with nothing, and he's resent, he's gone on to resent Logan to the point where it's like do whatever you want Logan it's like none of this has brought me any good and it's like I'm tired of like running through the woods and like everyone's dead and like all this other horrible stuff so you know what do whatever you want and Logan's basically like okay stay behind and work on relations with the union I'll see you later <laughs> it's like okay bye and uh, that's Dog Man <laughs>
1: and Dogman is one of the better people for sure and yeah. probably the best person of the main crew here I like mm-hmm. the point of view characters i think that's probably fair to say he never gets his like west moment where it's like oh well this guy seems nice but then it turns out that he's got this streak they've him. got this <laughs> yeah it's like dogman's always kind of just like this chill well-meaning Dude, and That's he kind of ends the story, this chill, well-meaning <laughs> dude, but wondering, like, how was I trying to live my life yeah, as a chill, well-meaning dude? Because Bias it had said that terrible.
0: the age is ending and a new age is starting, and I kind of feel that with Dogman. You know, Dogman's kind of left with, like, the end of an era, the end of an age, and he's left with nothing, you know? He's like, what? Like, how do I make sense of this world anymore? Because... Uh, Bethad's gone. All his friends are gone. All the politics he was fighting in is swept off the board. And now he's just kind of left there alone. So it's like, what is he supposed to do? And that's kind of his tragic ending is like all his good intentions, like trying to make a good life for himself. And he's just as worse off, if not even more worse off than he was at the beginning, of running around in the woods trying to flee Bethad. So it's like.
1: Well, you mentioned the the beginning, Charles, and that just so happens to be the title of... Another brilliant seg. Yeah, that's not in the notes. We keep referencing the notes. For the record, these segs, (laughs) that's all natural. That's... uh, (laughs) So... Yeah, it's not... There's no, like... Uh, Charles says beginning. Dylan comes in with uh, the the big sag. Charles tells him how great he is, and the FDF podcast continues. There is uh, yeah, I think fans would be disappointed
0: to see the notes. Like there may be a few fun jokes in here, like making a magi, but it's not like we write a lot of this stuff down. It's just kind of bullet points of the story, so we don't forget. It's
1: all plot summary. Yeah. I've actually been. Well we'll talk <laughs> I don't wanna say we'll do something and then <laughs> on the air now and then have people expecting it <laughs> and, uh, uh but I have some thoughts about the notes. But anyway, okay. the the thing that we get here is that last chapter called The Beginning, which contrasts with the first chapter, which is the first chapter of the blade itself I'm talking about, so all the, the way back first chapter of the first law is called the end <laughs> and uh that um, feels more as i as it gets <laughs> right <laughs> so uh we we get to our final chapter the beginning and it's logan returning to the north thinking okay well finally we solved all of this now time for me to just take a seat but uh <laughs> there's someone uh who has other ideas charles
0: That is right. We get the big reveal. You know, Logan, we can already see that his kingdom's kind of crumbling around him a little bit. People are only following him because they fear him, basically, and he challenges anyone that kind of grumbles around him. And so by the time he returns north, it's no surprise. Black Dow has already sat himself on the throne. And it's kind of funny to go back now where Logan's like, well, someone will need to stay here and root out these people. I was like, oh, I'll do it. Have fun, guys. Like, don't yeah. worry about me. <laughs> like, I'll Go ahead and do it. So it's like my second time reading it. I'm like, oh, Dow had this planned from the beginning. Like, he was always, you know, a thorn in everyone's side. And it's no surprise that he continues to be. And he actually um, challenges Logan. Uh, we get a few other moments here. We see that shivers. Charles, yeah, is while that what we're talking going?
1: about the build up with Dow. Yes. Um, there's fantastic foreshadowing for this mm. even way earlier in this novel where you're having these interactions where it feels like it's just kind of Logan trying to manage all these personalities yeah. in, uh, in the North with these named men. And one of them is Dow, the hardest one to manage is Dow. Mm. And there's this discussion where Dow is legitimately asking Logan, like, like, okay, so you're fighting against Beth Like, how'd you know, when it was time to like no longer serve Bethad, <laughs> oh. and I wonder what Dow's considering. Yeah. And then uh, Logan's kind of talking to him, and at some point Dow says to Logan, "Or m- maybe there ain't room on one side for two bastards as big as the pair of ya." And Logan replies, "Oh, I don't know. You and me work real sweet together." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, well, we'll take see the about hand, buddy. that. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like. Dow always, uh, like throughout this book, you can tell he It been started with the power struggle. He's... Once
0: Logan left their crew, Dow was like, you know, campaigning yeah. to be the leader. You know, he's always been the one that's the, been the hardest to manage. It fits really well with his. Like, do you think that the rest of the world stops because Logan's an Adua? It's like, no. Like, Black Dow's running in the show in the North.
1: Yeah, that he is. He's been uh, trying out talking. So he talked to Calder and Scale instead of finding them and uh, killing them. <laughs> and those are Bethad's sons. And uh, yeah, he, he's been plotting this for a while. He takes his opportunity and he's reached a point where he legitimately thinks Logan is. I mean, I, I buy that Black Dow legitimately thinks Logan is worse than him. Yeah, like worse than Blacked out. I
0: would agree, and um, I think Logan certainly earned the title. You know, we've seen him, yeah, kill Crummicky Fail's son and kill Tall Duru Thunderhead, and you know, anyone else besides. And we've seen him time and time again choose more scores over peace, you know. So it's like, yeah, he's horrible, <laughs> there's nothing else to say about it. Like, as long as he's in power, he's just going to kill more people and cause more conflict. And I think that's what Black Dow was trying to say. He's like, I tried yeah. talking. You know, it's like, you're evil and you got to go. Not a bad case. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I have a good quote I'll drop in a bit, but I know you were getting to Shivers' moment there. And I, I love this moment from Shivers, which is that Dow had Shivers in on the plot of like, okay, you're going to kill Logan. He won't see it coming. And Shivers is just like, it got a chance to do that he could have ended logan and logan ends up getting a little bit more of a shot to fight because shivers decides like no i'm just not doing it he just like throws his weapon aside and walks out and the shivers arc so far has been one of like he always wanted to sell a score with logan he always like had logan his has big enemy and you know he's his He's Rattleneck's son, so his uh, brother got killed by Logan in really messed up fashion. But Shivers is someone who actually, like, listens to people around him (laughs) here. And he takes the dogman's advice, which was given earlier, which was basically, like, like blood only gets more blood. Like, uh, you don't want to settle scores because all that does is bring about more and and shivers kind of gets some of this redemption to the end of this arc that we were maybe hoping Logan was going to get. That's
0: true. I mean, he learned the lesson just by watching the people around him. It's just like, forget all of this. And he's been tempted like this whole time. He's had multiple opportunities to kill Logan. He's even saved Logan's life. Uh, So more than once now with this, act of like walking away so yep really nice uh little moment for shivers he was always kind of like this will he like like wild card thing with logan it's like is he gonna you take this moment to exact revenge on logan or not you know and um in the end he's the only one that learned this lesson besides maybe dogman but dogman learned it the hard way right
1: (laughs) and then, yeah, we get this moment, Charles, where kind of Logan's scrambling. He's got, there's a bunch of people around him. So, if, and Black Dow is a great fighter in his own right. And Logan's a little more in rough shape and outnumbered. And he, you know, he gets this one chance to see if he can escape. And he basically just jumps out a window and starts falling toward. The water, just in the way that this all started back in the blade itself, and and we get some great like you get like all of his isms coming together. It's like it, yeah. and there's
0: only one choice left, and that's no choice at all.
1: <laughs> Best yeah. to do
0: it without, live with the fear of doing it, and then he's in the water, yeah. and it's like say one thing about Logan. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like it does so cut funny. off in the middle of that.
1: <laughs> uh, it's so good. Oh, uh, so I I think in in Logan's arc it, it's interesting I think Dow kind of says the, the thesis of that arc in some ways to Logan right. at the end here where uh, they're fighting and, and Black Dow's kind of like look I, I'm i a bad bad person uh, <laughs> no one's speaking debating about himself that. Dow uh, <laughs> but I know that I Black Dow know I am a villain a, a, a real bad dude and he says you sh-, and Logan's like I should have killed you and Dow says uh, like yeah you should have but you love to play the good man don't you you know what's worse than a villain a villain who thinks he's a hero a man like that there's nothing he won't do and he'll always find himself an excuse yeah
0: that's um a tough realization for all us logan fans <laughs> yeah <laughs> to 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 think of logan in that light um but that's you know he's done things like sacrificed the cooking pot to save Kwai, but he's also like created more conflict and violence than anyone
1: else, uh, except maybe Bias. But it's like you know in <laughs> yeah. the in the north. <laughs> I mean, Logan's had way long, way less time, so yeah. uh, I think, and just doesn't have the the scheming of a bias to cause that much death on that big a scale. But yeah, yeah it's a good of point. Of the
0: Northmen, no one's caused more senseless death and violence than him. And um, to to think that he's like, in his mind, he's this tragic character, when in reality, he's this...
1: Leaves on the water, that's what he says. Yeah,
0: when in reality, everyone sees him as this feared, like, force of violence it's a deadly combination and uh, it's very well said by black dow and it's uh it's another sad thing to realize because i think we all are logan fans and, and love him as a character and then it's a bitter pill to swallow these last moments with Black black dow who's basically reaffirming what um beth said just a little more yes. close to home
1: <laughs> yeah exactly charles it's uh a if that was the nail in the coffin, this is the final word. Uh, Truth. It drives it home extremely well. So, and I, I like to think that you and I, hopefully, have uh, <laughs> have driven this episode home.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Did I do it? Decent. Or, seg. Uh, decent. You've had better today, but yeah, that one was still good.
1: <laughs> not my. Yeah. Not my top one. But I also didn't say it with the confidence. Yeah, the delivery I, like, I mean it was
0: just is a totally fine saying, but you, you were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: I kinda knew it wasn't as good. And yeah, just didn't Well, I also was like, is there more Charles Wells to talk about?
0: I don't uh, yeah, know. Yeah. No, I'm I'm so I wanted I'm, to leave it open. I appreciate that, man. But you know what? Like We got to the end of the story. We got to everyone's arcs. I think if there's more we want to say, we can just do more episodes. Yes, (laughs) I think we
1: will. (laughs) But
0: uh, I think our conversation for today is done. And with that, we close the books on the first Law Trilogy. And we go into a Friends Pitching Fantasy, I believe, is on the schedule. And then we go into Wheel of Time which is uh, (laughs) a very ambitious journey for us. I think it will be interesting to compare these two works. (laughs) So um, looking forward to getting that kind of perspective through the Wheel of Time. And um, yeah, you know, this is part of our year-long goal to have read all of the First Law books by September when Wisdom of Crowds is released right uh so that is very exciting and uh we got some standalones to read before then and uh <laughs> i'm looking forward and to it, some man.
1: the first couple of age of madness after that yes. and i think we should read sharp ends because charles if you want to know the truth behind the story of rattleneck's son there ah. is a there is a short story that tells that Uh,
0: I do want to know
1: that and I, I
0: just have to say like the experience of reading Abercrombie is such a pleasurable one like sometimes you read a book and it just it's the pages fly by and you're just enraptured by it the whole time and you're it's funny and it's tragic and it's exciting and like everything a good fantasy book should be and like the experience of reading this series is just so so good as far under the lens of entertainment it's one of the best we've read like oh yeah just so much I fun mean, yeah
1: you don't have to tell me <laughs> twice I, I, yeah no we had <laughs> we had a listener reach out for some recs and was like what do you suggest you and charles seem to really like joe Abercrombie. <laughs> that's <laughs> a place like, yep. to, to go <laughs> you, if you have you bread. Call us
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, we like to think of ourselves as as um, some pretty intense Abercrombie fans. Dylan has been campaigning for Abercrombie for many, many, many years. And, um, yeah. ha- you know, this is your, what, third or fourth time reading the series. So, um, yeah, it's been great and i'm looking forward to you know i've only read the only other book i've read by abercrombie is best served cold just the next one we'll read on the show when we get to it so after that it's new ground and i am excited i'm 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 excited i'm
1: pumped too it's so interesting yeah i'm i'm very excited to kind of be there along for the ride in your first reactions to some of these i mean expect i think this is in my friend's pitching fantasy originally too. Was I think that Abercrombie basically gets better with every successive book. I I there's a little uh, maybe hedging I would do around that. That's a very absolute s- statement, but I gen the general trend and the trend of Goodreads ratings as well mm-hmm. is that each book is is rated higher than the last. Mm-hmm. I think. I'm trying to remember if that's true for best... I think it is. Uh, and it's... I mean, Age of Madness, for me, I like even better so far than the first law. Wow. So, yeah. I'm excited. how good it is. I'm
0: excited, man. I can't wait we got a little reading to do before then what are you gonna read yes. <laughs> we gotta read we like do. you know three books of the wheel of time whatever we do in this next cycle of FPF and then we're back to Abercrombie it might take a few months but um, you know we'll, we'll get there eventually and I am looking forward to it greatly
1: yeah I think we've only got one task left to do Charles and that's I no think choice it's... at all <laughs> it's better to do it than live with the fear of it at this point. Get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping, my good friends. Yes,
0: sir. As you say, so it shall be done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. This has been your host, Charles and Dylan, coming at you with another exciting buddy read and what a ride that was if you like what you heard today and you want to reach out to us get involved social media is a great place to do that especially twitter over at the ftf podcast with a number one at the end we're also on facebook and instagram at the ftf podcast you're always welcome to shoot us an email as well a couple of those have been trickling in they've been fun to to go back and forth with be a part of that conversation over at the ftf podcast at gmail.com Now, Dylan, if they wanted to show their support for the show in a way that was free and relatively easy for them to do, and they just so happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, what can they do?
1: They can scroll down on our Apple Podcast page until they see those five stars, and then they can toss five stars to our podcast. Just got to click five of them. That would be great. A review is even better if you do have time, but just listening. That's yes, enough. We love it. listening,
0: guys. Thank you so much. We made it to the end of the series, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you, thank you, thank you all for listening. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends.